0: Welcome to Day Beautiful. I'm Adam Vitcavage and this is a podcast where you can discover debut authors. If you like what you hear here, check us out on the web at daybeautiful.net and on all social media at Day Beautiful. Today's guest appears frequently on the Today Show and is the author of the best-selling children's book How to Be a Pirate, as well as the co-author of Pen and Ink, Tattoos and the Stories Behind Them, and Knives and Ink, Chefs and the Stories Behind Their Tattoos. His writing has appeared in the New York Times, The Guardian, The Best American Non-Required Reading, The Boston Globe, and numerous other publications. He currently lives in Brooklyn, and you could follow his adventures on foot at Walk It Off. His name is Isaac Fitzgerald, and his debut memoir, Dirtbag Massachusetts, is out now. Hey, Isaac, how are you doing today?
1: Adam, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm doing really well because I'm a big fan of summer. Mm. And summer feels like it's either it's either right around the corner or it might already be here so I'm, I'm doing good how about yourself
0: i am doing okay i also enjoy summer now i lived in phoenix forever so i hated summer because i couldn't go outside <laughs> now i live in denver so it's a little cooler however it did snow last weekend <laughs> oh no yeah how wild is that like mid-may snow but whatever um,
1: you're up there a little bit but yeah that's a little wild is yeah. it getting warmer now
0: yeah it's like back up back up to normal um not the. I feel like Northeast summers are just magical, though. Like you're you're in New York still, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: I, I've, I've one. I lived in San Francisco for a long time, mm-hmm. but I'm back on the East Coast now. And I love kind of the return of seasons. I won't lie. I used to be a summer hater myself. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I'm a man that likes to wear pants. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, big fan of boots. I was just shorts, sandals. I couldn't get behind it. But as I've gotten a little bit older, I've come to embrace the kind of, kind of hot East Coast summer because there's a lot of boats, a lot of water. Um, and the lesson I've learned living in New York is to embrace New York, to love New York. You kind of have to leave New York. time mm. time. to time. So summer is just a really wonderful time. If you've got a friend that's got like a house out on Long Island or something lucky like that, it's a nice time to get out of the city and enjoy
0: it. For sure. And I did not plan to talk about summer except for this question i'm going to ask i really feel like dirtbag massachusetts it's coming out in july when this podcast will be out it feels like a summer book like i feel like because summer is so tied to our childhood and our teen years so anyway I no that's out. a
1: love that's a lovely sentiment because you're absolutely right there's a lot of like bike riding like getting out absolutely yeah. um that's a connection that i myself hadn't made it originally was going to come out in february oh, wow. which i'm of course grateful to be honest, because that would have been a lot of Zoom events. Yes. It's looking like, of course, Knock on Wood, mm-hmm. crossed, but it's looking like I'm going to be able to get out and do in-person events, which I'm really excited about.
0: Yes. And I, I love in-person events. Uh, your book, Dirtbag Massachusetts, uh, subtitle: A Confessional. Um, tell us, tell readers what it's about.
1: Yeah, um, again, thank you so much for having me on mm-hmm. and, and your interest in the book. Uh, Dirtbag Massachusetts is a memoir in essays, mm-hmm. uh, which is to say that there's some time jumps throughout, etc. but the hope uh, what I was shooting for is that there is a bit of an arc, that the, the essays are a little bit interconnected, but you can read each one on its own. And the way I like to describe it is it is a focus on my childhood, which was A very unique childhood. Of course, when you're a kid, you don't know that when you're eight years old, you don't know if your childhood experience is that much different from anybody else's. But I was raised uh, in a homeless shelter in Boston uh, called Haley House. And then I lived in a halfway uh, house that was run by the Catholic worker uh, called John Larry House. And the Catholic worker is uh, very much what it sounds like a, a Catholic organization, but quite with a socialist kind of through line through it. Not a lot of the opulence that you can think of when you think of the main Catholic church. This is a lot of like, help thy neighbor, soup kitchens. Uh, it was started by this wonderful woman, Dorothy Day. So it's about my childhood and how those years, although hard, were actually probably the happiest. And then later in life, uh, later in my childhood, uh, because of some issues that my parents were going through, um, things became quite quite difficult. So the, the 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 memoir starts there, and then the rest of it is basically these hard childhood years, and then how I reacted to those hard childhood years uh, in my twenties, in my early thirties, my ways of trying to deal with trauma while not actually facing trauma, um, and the and different ways that that looked like. So that's that's one way of putting it. The other way I like to put it is that it's a memoir very much about how my family. Uh, split apart and then eventually in very kind of unconformist ways found a way to come back together.
0: For sure and I don't want to talk too much about like your childhood because I want people to read the book but I do want to get to and I know this is like touched upon throughout your career a lot but like how did you become a writer? Like I, like, I know you worked in a a famous bar in San Francisco. You, you read a lot, but like when were you like, oh, I am a writer?
1: No, that's to be honest, that's a great question. Cause it's something I actually I I really, you know, I the the, the thing about writing any book and especially writing a memoir is you can't put it all in there, right? Mm-hmm. And this is actually I, I had this I had this conversation with my mother, uh, who of course, you know, she has read it and mm-hmm. it's actually opened up a lot of wonderful conversations between us. But I think mm-hmm. for her, she's like Hey, there's some, there's a, remember, and I say it in the book that those early years were the happy years. And she's like, how come there aren't more chapters on that? And (laughs) it's right, like, you're basically, you can't put it all in. And the way I describe it to her is like, look, there's, there's a log, there's a block of wood or a log. That's the truth. That's the whole truth. And then what you're doing is carving a statue out of that hunk of wood. Right. And so of course my mother's Statue would end up looking very much different than mine. We're carving, we're accentuating different parts, right? So for me, I could, I knew I couldn't put everything in there. And one of the things that I eventually kind of let fall to the side is I did have a bit about like how I became a writer, but I realized that this was really about my childhood, these different kind of jobs that I had over my life. And for me, it was not so much about how I found how, found my way to becoming a writer. But mm-hmm. I'm happy to answer that question um, because. You know it has been the story of probably the last couple of decades of my life and let's see how quickly i can do it. that's part of the other reason i couldn't put it in the book all right long story short um, my parents, I was very lucky. We grew up very, very poor, but my parents did instill one important thing in my life. They really both believed in education. They really both strongly believed in books. And I was very lucky for that. I was raised surrounded by books whenever we moved. I'm pretty sure none of the furniture made it with us, but the book collection always did. <laughs> um, reading, reading, reading just constantly. That was true throughout school as well. Not usually the books that were being assigned to me. Although again, to shout out to the teachers, I would usually end up then reading those books later in my life and being like, oh, I probably should have done that at the time. But uh, just always reading books being so, so important to me. But growing up, I truly thought that writing was a gift. A gift from the universe, a gift from God. I thought that there were just people that had an innate sensibility, just like there are people that are tall enough to dunk. I just thought that it was this gift that was bestowed upon you. Um, also, let's be honest, growing up in Boston, I was going to the Boston Public Library. I was trying to get my hands on any kind of free accessible books I had. That meant I was reading a lot of books from the past and to put it more bluntly, a lot of books by dead white men. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't really have a grasp on there being a contemporary literary scene. Um, I didn't really have, have an understanding about how the ways publishing was becoming more diverse And there are all these other stories, including stories that would that would speak to me. Um, And so. Around the age of 23, I end up in San Francisco, and that is the first place that I think I actually learned that maybe writing is something that I could pursue. Again, still a giant, giant reader. Mm -hmm. I tried out many different jobs at that point in my life already. None of them really speaking to me. And that's when I came across 826 Valencia, which is a creative writing project is started mm-hmm. by Dave Eggers the folks at McSweeney's it's created creative writing nonprofit for children for children being key there. I'm 23 years old a friend of mine's like hey outside there's a sign it says storytelling and bookmaking workshop you should totally just go check it out you love books you're reading them all the time give it a whirl so I walk in and immediately realized that this is a meeting for volunteers to work with children. This is not a storytelling and bookmaking workshop for adults, but I can't get up and leave because then you look like a jerk. Even though if I'm being honest, now I'm a kid's book author. I love kids, kids are wonderful. (laughs) But at 23, I was a bit, I was like, I don't wanna just hang out with a bunch of kids. So, uh, but I stayed. And as this whole volunteer, like they're giving a talk, they're giving a tour. And I notice on the wall, there are all these sheets of paper they're framed and they've got typing on them, but they're covered in either pencil markings or ink markings. And so I raised my hand and I say, I'm sorry, what are those sheets of paper? And they said, oh, well, writing of course is a very solo endeavor, but we try to show kids that it can also be a little bit more community-based, which is to say these pieces of paper are all pages from manuscripts from Dave Eggers, our founders, friends. All these pages are from manuscripts that did eventually get published. And they're covered in markings to show the kids that you can write your story, but then you show it to a friend or you show it to a teacher or you show it to one of the volunteers and they will give you feedback that will make your story better. You don't have to take all the feedback, but other people can really help you. And it's, 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 it's something that you can work on and make it better. And that it's like a light bulb went off. I was 23 years old and I, literally I was writing it down I was like yeah we should of course we all know this but let's teach it to eight-year-olds in my head I was nobody had ever said that to me I truly thought that people like just had the gift they lived in ivory towers they typed beautiful beautiful prose they hit print they sent it to New York then it became a book and they were millionaires of course now we know none of true, <laughs> especially the millionaire part but mm-hmm. that was the first time it dawned on me that it could be a craft that now don't get me wrong there are some people that are brilliant at writing and they do have that talent almost from the jump seemingly but I that's when I realized I could get better at it through practice and through finding community and that is truly I would argue that's when I started I started journaling that's Mm -hmm. when I started you know again reading I think is one of the best ways to become a writer but that's when I started pursuing it in earnest and then I wrote a lot of bad stuff for a long long time Mm -hmm. but slowly and surely just like they said it did start getting better. Sorry, that was a very long answer.
0: <laughs> no, I love long answers. Um, jumping ahead, how do you end up at Buzzfeed?
1: Okay, so so from that, and I'm bouncing around San Francisco, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I, I end up working at 826 Valencia. I actually end up, I, I'm sorry, I end up volunteering there. I end up working there eventually. Okay. Um, but I also, let's see, other jobs in San Francisco, I was the world's worst sushi chef for a little bit. I worked at Zeitgeist, which is in the book. Um, I worked, I do end up eventually working at McSweeney's, but through 826, I really found a literary community Mm -hmm. in San Francisco. And then of course, we're talking the early 2000s here, the dot-com, the first dot-com bubble had already burst. That was around 99. But SF was still, of course, a very tech-minded town. But this was, Early, early days of social media, even if, if they were even around at that yeah. point quite yet. So it was not, it was, it was truly, it was almost this valley between the dot-com bubble burst of 99 and like, you know, the mid-aughts explosion of Facebook and all these other social media sites. It's almost in this little valley. But people were very interested in the internet. So through a community that I met through 826 Valencia, we started a website called the which was an online culture magazine. And so I'd met this little community in, in San Francisco, but then that led to a larger community online. And that's when I started working with writers like Roxanne Gay, who at the time was living in the Midwest, Cheryl Strayed, but at the time was living in Portland, Oregon, and I believe still does. Sae Jones, who maybe was in New York at the time, like all these different writers and all these different wonderful people, this huge community uh, kind of came together and rallied around this, small, but fun online culture website. And through that, working there, that's eventually coming back to McSweeney's and and basically BuzzFeed at the time was like, hey, we're looking for a books editor. I was interested in moving to New York City. I'd been in San Francisco for about a decade at that point. Saeed Jones was a friend of mine at that point, near and dear friend of mine. And he had just become the LGBTQ editor. They had a vertical for that. And he was like, look, they're doing a books one too. You want me to throw your hat in the ring? I went for it. Um, Wendy McNaughton, who I've been working with a lot, knew some people there, pulled some strings, I think. Anyways, long story short, yeah. I truly didn't think I, I mean, I've, I've been washing dishes in a bar. I, yeah. I, I never, I, I don't have an MFA. Uh, I've never studied English. My grammar is still, uh, all I can say is, again, that community-reliant, like thank yeah. God for, for friends and editors who, who, who helped me with my work. But that's how I ended up at Buzzfeed and that would have been end of 2013, beginning of 2014
0: yeah and i completely skipped over the, like the, the rumpus which i i was just like so focused on buzzfeed but yeah i forgot like the rumpus is so important and i've i've written i've done an interview for them um i and i love it yeah. and it's still going yeah. today I yes
1: think it's, it now has its third owners mm-hmm. which is so wonderful yeah the board i believe is still entirely women um but especially like Chloe Cadwell I can just name the number of writers I can name who came out of that website who I was lucky enough again I at that time I was doing like low html Mm -hmm. basically by ear like I said I'm not the best but like you know i read things aloud be like hey what about this sentence and that's another way to answer your question that's another way I learned like obviously reading a ton but also working with other people on their essays and it was wonderful like to to work with people like Roxanne, who who did have a formal education, to work with people like Cheryl had a book out, mm-hmm. uh, Roxanne did too at the time as well. Like, you know, I'd be like, "What about moving this?" And they'd be like, "No, you're an idiot." So like, they didn't yeah. they didn't accept all my edits either. You know what I'm saying? Like it was like, but through talking with them about it, I got better and better.
0: So during this entire time, um, you know, in San Francisco doing uh, Valencia, doing rumpus getting to buzzfeed are you thinking yes i am i am still going to write a book or are you at that point because i when people ask me adam do you want to write i was like no i just like to talk to writers like i have no interest to be honest with you in writing fiction writing essays writing anything um were you at the time like when you were editing and and buzzfeed thinking yes i'm going to be a writer still
1: adam that's i I think that's a truly a wonderful question um because i think there are like 20 different answers (laughs) I mean, I think I wanted to be a writer before I even really knew it was a job. Mm-hmm. You know? Like I wrote poetry, bad, bad mm-hmm. horribly embarrassing poetry um, in like middle school and high school. Um, but I didn't, I, I had no, it, it, was, it was such a dream. And I really mean that as a dream, not a dream like that I thought was attainable. It was just something that, that I, I didn't even know how to make steps to get there.
0: Yeah.
1: But of course, when I look back, why do I walk in at 826 Valencia? Why do, right? It's like, it's almost like there was this part of me that even if I couldn't consciously admit it to myself, was trying to figure it out, was trying to figure out how to make a book, um, what goes into it. And this is, this is something I'm thinking about a lot. Uh, Brendan Taylor actually had this wonderful Substack recently uh i think it's called the little life is not your Father." Mm-hmm. i won't get into all the details of, but it was very much about yeah. how in gay literature there can be a lot of people can be very critical of things maybe because it feels a little too close to home it was about a lot of other things too yeah. it was interesting reading that for me because that's how i felt too uh, i i'm going to share this also which is for the longest longest time i would tell people well i'm not going to write about my child True. I knew I wanted to write. I didn't really know what it was. But for some reason, I was like, especially I I came up in the 90s. There were a lot of young, especially, let's be honest, a lot of cis, white, male, sad boy books getting Mm -hmm. made in the 90s about their bad childhoods. And I was just like, I'm not going to do that. And I I remember saying that to people at parties. I, I have all these memories of it. And now here I am. 30 i believe nine now 39 years old and here it comes the exact thing that i i swore up and down uh i wasn't going to do now i i try i hope if, if i accomplished anything that i set out to do i I've wanted to play with at least a little bit of the tropes that you find in those books um but at the end of the day when did i want to become a writer the answer is i i probably didn't admit it to myself truly that i could actually do it until my 30s but at the same time, I think when I was 12, I did know that I wanted to do it. I just didn't know how to figure it out. But like I said, every step along the way, I think was in hindsight, I can see me
0: trying to figure it out. So then I think I first discover you, like when you're yeah, at BuzzFeed, you're the editor there and you and Sayed are like the dynamic duo of the online literary world um, and not to go, and he's a brilliant poet. He has a new collection coming out. The name is Escaping Me, um, but- I
1: got you. It is called, um, oh no, oh. Alive at the End
0: of the World. Alive at the End of the World. I, I, not to get too into your friendship, but like just describe yeah. like how amazing it was to be working together at Buzzfeed like and doing what you were doing. Cause there was a lot of cool stuff you were doing.
1: Yeah, no, listen, this is, I mean, Saeed is my best friend and Said is, I'm very lucky in our relationship which dates back to we met at awp in chicago Mm. in 2012 so this is like it's like our 10-year anniversary um and at the time uh brian spears who was the poetry editor at the rumpus had just accepted one of site's poems for i believe it was like april was poetry month um and then um and, and then oh I'm sorry, just like, it's, it gets, it gets mm-hmm. me a little quick clumps. Because then we'd be, we, we started this very tight relationship, but we you know we could have been DMing each other, but DMs back, back in the early days of Twitter, like DM was literally like, if you're like asking somebody on a date, we didn't have any followers, so it didn't matter. So we just had this public discourse mm-hmm. where we were just talking back and forth. He was in New York, I was in San Francisco, and I'll just call it what it was. It was online flirting. We were just flirting with each other back and forth. Um, and then he came out, he actually came out as, uh, I, well, I came to New York for a Dear, Dear Sugar event. Uh, Wild had just come out, so we did a big launch party for Shell Strayed at Housing Works. It was a wonderful, tremendously wonderful night. A friend of his had an extra ticket and just by chance brought him. We then see each other again there, of course. That night, we have a really, really deep, heartfelt conversation that leads to a real cementing of, of our friendship and our relationship in each other's lives. and he moves, he eventually, he goes on this around the world trip, but he moves, he lands in San Francisco. He stays there for a year. At that time, he gets the BuzzFeed job. Then he moves Mm -hmm. back to New York because they need him there. Then he gets me the BuzzFeed job. (laughs) And to be able to work with somebody you so deeply admire, but also so deeply trust was an incredible, incredible experience. And especially what Saeed did, he, he eventually goes on to become the culture editor at BuzzFeed. Some of the things that he did there along with editors, like uh, Carolina, I'm so sorry, Carolina. She has a last name that is tough for me, but I'm gonna give it a whirl. Carolina, what we'll the I'm sorry, Carolina, I know I messed that up. But like, uh, Tommy uh Rachel Sanders. Uh, I mean, I could just name the, the culture desk at Buzzfeed when it was at It's as prime it as Anne Helen Peterson was there, Bim, like all these wonderful people were there. Uh, but, but Said really led this ship in a, in a really wonderful way. And so to get to watch him do that was incredible. And then we did the AM to DM, which was a wild. Mm-hmm. It's it's very interesting. Again, I'm giving you too long of answers, but AM to DM now looks like what most sh- sh- most shows will now grab things from social media and then mm-hmm. talk like mainstream, like that is the way most shows are working now but what's really funny is it was only a few years ago but at the time it was really ahead of its time um yeah. so to do something experimental like that with him now don't get me wrong was it fun talking about what twitter was talking about for an hour on live television every morning for an hour now you know it's, that could also be seen as a certain form of purgatory <laughs> but because i was doing it with saeed somebody i loved and trust uh it, it made it a very special experience and and my favorite thing about working at buzzfeed with with him is that our relationship post having worked there is still yeah extremely strong and that was the promise we made to each other when we started working together was we need this not to affect our relationship and we and sure. don't get me wrong there are moments but we managed
0: yeah and then uh continuing with like the buzzfeed era of your life um at least one essay i'm sure there was more but like i try not to get too much research so i get honest answers uh the teenage dirtbag fight club essay which is in this collection is on buzzfeed so at that time you're starting to write eventually in theory what becomes dirtbag massachusetts did you know like okay i'm gonna do no 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 that's that's a wonderful question no
1: so dirtbag massachusetts when i first pitched it and shout out to i feel like i'm just name dropping but really it's just i like to give people recognition for their work which is jason diamond wonderful writer. He's the guy that mm-hmm. came up with the name for it. Cause my town was Athol, Massachusetts. I grew up in Boston, but then we eventually moved to North central Massachusetts. And uh, everyone in the state called us asshole Massachusetts, mm-hmm. uh, funnily enough. But you can't call a book that. And it was Jason Diamond who came up with the title Dirtbag Massachusetts, but Dirtbag Massachusetts originally, and this is when I pitched it, was going to be not even connected. Just a bunch of essays. D- D- Fight Club would have been in there for sure but the idea was masculinity and more culture. Mm-hmm. Like I was gonna write a, an essay about like Star Wars and like what it meant to me. Like there was, it was not going to be nearly as focused on my childhood and my personal story. Again, getting back to that thing of, I was saying to myself, oh, I'm not gonna write some woe is me, look at my sad childhood book. Mm-hmm. Um, I, was, I was really the joke that I had and I hope she'll forgive me for saying this, but I kind of pitched it as bad men in this uh which was you know Roxanne had bad feminists (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it's a great great collection and but it's a lot of her different work that's like very powerful but but separate and on different issues and I was my joke you know my idea was I was going to do something similar Uh, but then when I sat down to write it it became much more about my childhood which did start happening to answer your question while I was working on those pieces at BuzzFeed Mm -hmm. Because I wrote the Teenage Fight Club essay. I wrote the Fat Kid, uh, former, former Fat Kid essay. Um, I think I wrote something else. One of the first ones was Kilimanjaro. And I remember, I think I said it It was Rachel Sanders, who was one of the editors on the Culture Team. I think I said, I was like, wow, how many, oh, I grew up in a small, rural, poor town essays do I have in me? Like, I almost said it as a joke. Like, I was making fun of myself. And so even at that point, I think the book was trying to show itself to me before I could even recognize what was happening mm-hmm. which I, I, I feel like I'm giving you that answer
0: a lot which I feel like is me saying no. I don't have a lot of internal thought <laughs> no but it is interesting I mean, I mean I love talking to you because like you don't have the traditional MFA you just kind of found yourself mm-hmm. in the writing world and mm-hmm. um, you know I've told people you know, my background, I have no background in writing fiction, no MFA, my undergrad was an. I, I was a teacher for two years, like, I don't have, like, I ta- I don't have any background in this, I I tricked people into letting me write, uh, interviewing authors, because I, mm-hmm. I wrote for a pop culture magazine, paste magazine, based out of mm-hmm. Atlanta, um, I interned for them, free, freelance for them for a while, and then I, and I, when I was teaching, I was like, oh, God, literature is so amazing, like, I hated it for years, like, I hated it in college, because that's all, you know, blah, like, things happened. And then I read uh, The Turner House by Angela Flournoy. I reached out mm-hmm. to her publicist because I knew how to find publicist information mm-hmm. and was like, hey, like, I would just love to interview her. Had no, nobody agreed to publish it. So I, I lied and tricked myself into, like, doing this. So I, I I feel a kinship to you where, like, you just walked into... And like, that's, and to be yeah. honest, that's,
1: that's also a similar time. Like, that would have been when I started at BuzzFeed. You know, I was a little, what I'm saying mm-hmm. is I was a little further yeah. along the line, but yeah. I remember when Florida's book came out 2015 yeah
0: 2014
1: 2015 yeah yeah yeah, exactly so that would have been the early days of me doing that and that's like good on you like that i think that's a really wonderful way to do it because that's another thing i do too and i and i so deeply admire what you do which is talking to other authors i mean that's what i do with walk it off right i'm why, why why do i do walk it off i love it i love walking i love talking to interesting people but also i'm still learning like I'm definitely gleaning lessons from these people that I'm talking to that I hope helps make me a better writer. And yeah. so not to turn this interview on you a little bit. Are you sh- Like, it sounds like you, you write. Are you sure you never want to write a book?
0: Uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe. I think what I really want to write if I did was like, I um, like the new Babysitter's Club or Animorphs, like a, a young serialized um, like thing for second graders just because the passion of reading is super...
1: That's awesome. That's,
0: yeah. So we'll see. And then, yes. And then now to turn it back on you, because I, I do talk about myself way too much. But, uh, oh, I like it though. Um, a qu- two quick thing or one quick thing. In 2016, you're at BuzzFeed. I just start tricking people into letting me write for them. I email Isaac thischerald at BuzzFeed.com. I say, oh, no. Hey, I'm brand new. I'm, I have no clue how to freelance. And you say, Hey, we're not really accepting you respond. And, and it's cool. just, Hey, um, we're not, we don't like do freelance at BuzzFeed. Here's like, how to do some things like you gave me some advice and I was like hell yeah and here we are years later small oh, world I'm so glad I responded <laughs> yes you did like I mean I actually have the email pulled up you responded within three hours you are good. wow I, listen you caught me on a good
1: day because there might be still some people waiting for a response on some stuff right I now. feel
0: yeah um so let's just skip to walk it off because that is also amazing oh, and also
1: if you need a little extra time and you're gonna I mean I know you want to keep it tight too probably because that helps you it's yeah. easier to edit but if you want to oh if you I have got time yeah
0: well okay yeah. then yeah um yeah we'll do like a few more minutes then I love it um like a little extended yeah. um so you write two like um I don't even know how to describe them essay uh, story collections that aren't your stories the the pen and ink you, you do Imagine that it. yeah
1: that's
0: so that's I that's think, totally
1: yeah. an ed, ed, editorial, thing editorial thing that comes from and, and to be honest, comes from it's, it, it does have a connection to Dirtbag too, which is I grew up in Haley House, this shelter. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was very young, I spent a lot of time there. Even after we moved John Larry House, we were still there a lot. And um, I used to just act like there was, I was surrounded by adults from all walks of life who had fallen on hard times. But I, you know, when you're a kid, you don't see hard times. You just see interesting people. And so I used to just talk to people and hear their stories and hear their backgrounds. Eventually I end up at Zeitgeist Years and years later in San Francisco. And it's, it was a bar at the time. It was open from 9 a.m. to 2 a.m. every day of the year. So there were some downtimes. And so we would just talk to each other about the backgrounds of our tattoos. I was working at The Rumpus. Wendy McNaughton, an incredible illustrator who goes on to illustrate Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, an incredible No mm-hmm. One York Times bestselling cookbook, uh, partners with me on just like drawing people's tattoos while I get their stories behind them. But that is exa- it's exactly what we're talking about. About, and I think that's the theme of this podcast in a way. Is that was very much still one of the ways I learned how to write? Was because I, I would hear that's and that's how I learned how to edit too. Is I would hear somebody, they, they would type it up or they would tell me this story, and then I could put it down on paper and I could rearrange it in a way that made sense that made it flow. And eventually, I don't want to use the word brave enough, but there's nothing else really coming to mind. Like, I had no problem doing that with other people's words, but I still was scared to put my own out because I was so sure that they would suck or whatever. And that's the thing, surprise, they do. I don't, I'm not that person in ivory tower who just types beautiful, beautiful sentences. Those people exist and God bless them. But for me, I kind of type garbage and then I just have to rearrange my own Mm. words until it actually makes sense, until it actually flows a little bit. Um, and, And thankfully, I also have other people in my life, editors, good friends, people who also help me with that process um but that is those those two books are very near and dear to my heart one because Wendy McNaughton's amazing but two because it, it helped me learn how to be a writer through editing other people's stories
0: mm-hmm. and then just because uh, I love getting these snippets of how your stories came to be and I'm sure you've talked about this throughout your entire life but mm-hmm. how to be a pirate you oh. I think we mentioned like I think you and I like Children are cool, whatever. And then uh, you read a children's book. How? This and is why? the best one.
1: No, you listen, Adam, just through talking about it, I think we found it. You're going to hit every beat and you're nailing it. Like, this is it. How to be a pirate makes me so happy because it's, it's it, it, three things that I think totally have happened to me time and time again. It's the perfect distillation of this. One is just luck. This is a New York City story. It couldn't have happened. Any, I mean, it could happen anywhere else of course but for me it felt like only in new york i just moved there I, I i live in a wonderful situation which is john ray who this is this incredible author he rents the top of his house to authors for office space marlon james works there. nathan englander used to work there uh, susan Troy works there um i live in the garden apartments which is to say the lower 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 floor not the basement but close um But it's a wonderful situation for me. I've been there longer than I've lived anywhere else in my entire life, including my childhood at this point. It's been eight years. Um, But the backyard touches a backyard and that's important. I'm I'm not talking down the street. I'm not, this this is literally two backyards, back to back. And there's a guy getting drunk in his backyard. I hope he doesn't mind me saying that. And I'm getting tipsy, let's say tipsy. There's a guy getting tipsy in his backyard. I'm getting tipsy in my backyard. We just start talking through the fence. Eventually he might, he's like, come on, come around the block. Like, it's just the house. Let's come on over. Let's have a drink. Eventually I figure out that's John Sheska. <laughs> the man that wrote the stinky cheese man and other fairly rotten fairy tales. Uh, the true story of the big bad wolves, like these, these books yeah. that just like totally shaped my childhood, but I had no idea. He had no, he didn't know who I was and yeah. I didn't know who he was. We were just a couple of guys. <laughs> um, and so I had this kid's book idea, it was, it was my idea was basically introducing children to tattoos, because at that point my friends were starting to have kids, I had a friend who called me the stamped man because of all the tattoos, mm-hmm. and so I'm like, oh, I want to tell John Cheska about my kid's book idea. For the record, it had been kicking around my head at that point for three or four, years. like I just had not even put a pen to paper, yeah. but I was like, oh, now's the time, but then I was like, no, he's going to think I'm a jerk, because how many people, everybody must tell John Cheska, but yeah. So I waited, I waited, we hung out like probably 30 times. I waited and I waited and I waited and a bunch of other stuff happened that I'm not gonna get into on this podcast. But long story short, it comes to the light. I'm like, I'm like hey, I wanna talk to you. I got this kid's book idea. And he's like, tell it to me. And I tell it to him. And he just, without even blinking in an eye, he goes, that's not a kid's book idea. And I'm crushed. I'm just like, oh no. And, and I'm thinking I overstepped boundaries. Like we actually had a really good friendship building. Now he thinks I'm just like some, you know, buddy yeah. All this stuff floods into me, but luckily 0.5 seconds later, what comes out of his mouth is, but if you want to come over to the house every other Friday for the rest of the summer, I can teach you how to take your very bad idea and make it into something that children might actually be interested in. And that's what he did. And he was exactly right. He taught me you know, all these things, the art of the term, basically children's books are only 36 pages including the back ends, but you wanna like have every page almost be like a cliffhanger to keep kids going through the book. There needs to be a, a character for the children to relate to. That's what I had. He was like, you have an adult idea of what a kid's book should be. I will teach you how to make a book that kids might actually like. And that's what he did. How to be a pirate only happened because of John Cheska, but it's, it encapsulates a few different things which is one luck, two community, only by meeting John building a relationship with having that friendship mm-hmm. where he was like hey i want to i want to take the time to teach you how to do this that has been important that goes back to the rumpus community yeah people i worked with at buzzfeed so luck finding community and then just getting it done like that's that's yeah. the the kind of i'm a big believer in like I'm not going to be the smartest person in the room ever, but I can keep showing up. And so that's, you know, John offers me that opportunity. I had to make time to go over there every Friday, you know, like I needed to make sure that I committed myself to it. And that's how it actually got done. Anyway, sorry. Very long
0: And so, and then, and I just love hitting all of like the important parts of your like literary career, walk it off. I'm assuming is luck, community and showing up. Yeah, (laughs) no, it it
1: is. It is. Walk, walk it up. but But again, walk, walk it off. It's, I mean, that one also, much like the book itself, also has a, a, a touch of sadness in it too, which is it also came out of the pandemic.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah.
1: um, and I was missing people. I was missing people so, mm-hmm. so much. But then all of a sudden, it became clear that we could hang out outdoors. And, uh, you know, hindsight 2020. I wrote a piece for The Guardian. But if you look at it, it's truly looking at it now. It's about a man losing his marbles just a little bit mm-hmm. I started walking 20,000 steps a day during the pandemic and I just want to admit I'm very lucky in that I I, I, I don't have a child to care for you know there I had the yeah. ability and the time in my life to do that but I, I was basically walking over 10 miles a day and that's clearly was me just like going a little loose mm-hmm. uh, but then then I started doing it with other people yeah. And then it became a lot better. And then I started talking to them. And that's what, what really it was. It was about having these writers who I knew and admired. I was working on my own book at the time. So to be honest, I think I was also, there was a part of me that was like, hey, how do I do this? And that mm-hmm. was part of it too. And then there was just this like, it turns out, and this, this, sorry, not to mix too many things in here too. My father was a walker. And I remember as a kid always being like, oh, oh, here we go, like another hike. And it turns out as I get older, it's just like, oh, you know what really is great? Oh, walking! Surprise, surprise! Um, and so, like now, I'm a huge walker too. Anyway, sorry.
0: No, that's perfect. I I love that. I I, I we barely talked about Dirtbag Massachusetts, and I just I I think we like covered Dirtbag Massachusetts part two, like your later life, all of the greatest hits in this podcast. Um, I do want to end with. What are you reading? What is, what is on your radar? or What are you watching? Because we don't always have oh, to talk about books.
1: <laughs> absolutely. Okay. I love, I love as, as you know, I love giving uh, book recommendations. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, uh, Hernan Diaz, Trust, what a book. It's mm-hmm. out this summer, right now. Uh, g- get, give it time. It is, now I don't wanna to give too much away, but just so you know, you're gonna read that first quarter of it and you're gonna be like, well, this is pleasant and enjoyable to read because he's like a really good writer. Mm-hmm. And then, hoo, 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 a lot of other stuff happens and it's incredible. Two, uh, Night of the Living Res. Yes. Um, by uh, By Morgan Tatley is mm-hmm. phenomenal, yes. phenomenal. That's coming out in July. Um,
0: Uh, just to plug that it'll be a future podcast guest we've just booked it so
1: oh he he is so smart and he's so good um uh the crane wife Mm. by cj hauser is absolutely phenomenal and um uh, essay collections that'll absolutely just just blow you away but then also just real quick to give a few books that like spoke to dirtbag yeah, because I mentioned a few books throughout it, but not all of them made it in. It felt a little weird shoehorning. some of them But um, one that just like is so so meaningful to me is um, "Salvage uh, Salvage the Bones" by Jesmyn Ward.
0: Hey, go ahead. I, you tell your story, then I'll tell my "Salvage the Bones" story and why it's like, my favorite book.
1: Yeah, and and here's and here's what it is for me. Like I I mean it is at the time that I read it, I'd never even been to like New Orleans, mm-hmm. Mississippi, Louisiana area. I had it, I traveled a lot of the country. I've of course been there a ton now, but at the time I had not done it. But why it spoke like, again, it's books, books. It's, it's this quote from uh, uh, the, oh, what is it? There's this is great play. Anyways, it's like a hand is, you, th- you think you have these thoughts all on your own and then a hand comes out of a book and grabs yours. You realize you're not alone. Uh, History boys, it's a play. Um, the, the class stuff in, the, in that book, I just had never seen stuff like that on the page before. And it reminded me so much of my friends, even though it be it in New England, who like lived in the woods and were like just jumping in, like just being like poor and making whatever they could out of whatever was around them, you know, and and I just loved that book so much. Sorry, go ahead. What's your story?
0: No, I mean, similarly, I, um, I'm i in Atlanta at Paste Magazine. We get a lot of CDs and sometimes a book drops and, and no one wanted it. And at that point, I was like so burnt out from my undergrad with like reading and, you know, English, becoming an English teacher, all you're doing is reading. And so I pick up the book. I'm like, oh, there's a dog on the cover, whatever. I'll read it. And then I, I hold on to it and I'm about to leave Atlanta and I read it like in one weekend. And then on my like trip, I like take a long detour through Mississippi and like there's more to it, but it's like it's the book that reinvigorated my reading, basically. Like the, it's the perfect book. And I know like sing and is Sing people say is better or whatever. I mean, art is subjective, but Salvage of the Bones to me is the book I recommend to every single human on the planet.
1: I see. I'm right there with you and I love it so much. And I'm glad to hear that. And I, I love that you and I connected it for the same reason. And the last book, the book that I have probably given away 20 or 30 times, I can never keep a copy of, although now I have a first edition. And mm. so that I will not give away. Uh, but The Collective Works of Priest DeJay Pancake, mm. uh, which is, he he was a writer from Virginia, uh, very similarly. And that's a book I actually came across in my younger years, where again, Virginia at that time I had never been to, now I've been to a ton, but I just had never seen
0: my own life put on the page like that, so. Yeah. Well, Isaac, thanks so much for just talking about like how your life was as random, as weird as mine was. Yeah, <laughs> i love to hear it. Well, let me tell you, not to be like but like the the one thing is just like
1: keeping at it and and it it sounds like it's it sounds like you're figuring you're figuring out what it is that you might want to and all I can say is I'm telling you I was lying to myself about it until I was even halfway done with the book yeah so just just keep at it and you know you figure it out along the way
0: Thank you so much to Isaac for joining the Day Beautiful podcast to talk about his debut memoir, Dirtbag Massachusetts. You can find him at isaacfitzgerald.net and on Twitter at Isaac Fitzgerald. You can find Day Beautiful at DayBeautiful.net, at Day Beautiful on all social media. As always, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful. And you're all beautiful.